thank you again for uh, for being here this morning. And I'll tell you what, last night was kind of one of those fun nights that uh, was just, uh, well, just crazy for that matter. Um, it was, uh, we got here about four o'clock and the TVs for some reason would not work. And of course, uh, first world church problems uh, because, you know, people in the third world are like, what's a TV? But we're worried about how we project the words and all those kind of things as we go. So we're trying to get it all figured out. And finally, we got it figured out. And we get in here, and uh, we start having service, and the entire time during the first thing, it's like uh, strobe light on the TV, and obviously it's a little difficult to, to get yourself in the mind of heart and, and worship when you've got like a you know, dance beat going on with a strobe lights and all kinds of stuff. And of course, it was doing it during my whole message, so even last night, I said, hey, I know this is going to be difficult for some of you, but you're going to have to pull out those Bibles with paper and actually read them because we're not going to have them up on the screen. But thankfully, Corey came in last night afterwards. He fixed it all so we can say thank you to him for doing all that. So thank you, Corey, for getting all that together. Yes. So now we can get back to first world church problems of everything else. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but today is a very uh, special day. And it actually has uh, very much to do with even the fact that we even exist as a church right here, right now. Does anybody have any idea what happened 18 years ago today? Any ideas? Oh, so close. He's, 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 uh, yeah, very close, very close. No, um, actually, I went on uh, my first date with Christy 18 years ago today. And um, the reason why I say that's important in the church is because uh, I was not going to be a pastor. I had no desire to be a pastor. I, um, there's still days that uh, I, uh, <laughs> I have those thoughts, but uh, I have my degree in elementary education, and so that's where I was headed at. And uh, Christy and I went on our first date on September 21st, 1996, and everybody goes, how do you remember that? That is so weird. And I'll tell you how I remember it, okay? Um, I was actually... Um, on our first date, uh, I did something that if anybody wanted to do with my daughter, I would break their legs, but it's just a whole other thing. I loaded up my 1989 Ford Festiva, and uh, we drove from Phoenix up to Prescott Valley, which is about an hour and 45 minutes, hour and a half roughly. Uh, and so first date, that's a little weird. Christy probably thought it was a little weird herself. Uh, you could talk to her about that. She thinks I'm weird anyway. But the, um, the whole thing is we went up there, and as we were up there, we waited, ate a little Mexican food restaurant called Oliva's. My family had gone there forever and ever. And so we went up there, and we ate, and on the way back, she fell asleep in the car, cause, and it hasn't changed in 18 years. Um, she fell asleep in the car, and as she fell asleep in the car, I turned on the radio to listen to ASU, Arizona State University, beat, at that point in time, number one Nebraska, 19 to nothing. So that is how I actually remember our first date, more than anything else, <laughs> because cause it's a date that stands out in history, and ASU, and, ASU, and actually, if you're a... Um, if you're a Bronco fan, Jake Plummer was the quarterback at the time leading them to the Rose Bowl eventually to lose to Ohio State. But, you know, just little things that help you remember your first date. That was it. That's what it was. And, um, you know, I, I, since then, I am so glad. You know, one of the things that Christy said from the very beginning was that someday I'm going to marry a pastor. And I'm like, hmm, you know, uh, at that point in time, that was not the answer that I thought was going to be. But God and her had other plans for me. And we are here now because of it. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about my, uh, my job. I get to do this for a living. And, and one of the cool things, even this week, as I looked at it, I looked at it all kind of laid out because we're going chronologically through the Gospels. We have been for a while now. Uh, we got back into it. And what I want to do is I want to finish by Easter. And I want to finish on Easter. So this week, I sat down and I put it all into my calendar on my computer so I could see what I'm going to speak about next week, next week, next week. And it was so cool just to watch the life of Jesus unfold. 
In about an hour's time, I said, okay, we're going to go from the Sermon on the Mount, which we talked about for the last two weeks, to the resurrection on April 5th. And, and just watching it unfold. I mean, it literally gave me goosebumps as I, as I watched it unfold, the, the life of Jesus, why he came. And I, was, I got like really, really excited. I'm like, man, we're going to... And this week, as a matter of fact, I was going to do Matthew 8 and Matthew chapter 9. Um, and then I realized I had about 20 pages of notes. And on any given Sunday morning, I had about eight pages of notes. So we would have been here for about two and a half hours if I had gone for that entire thing. So I said, you know, what? we'll do eight this week, nine next week. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. So what I would love for you to do is open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 8, and then I'm going to ask you to flip backwards here in just a second to Matthew chapter 4, because what's in Matthew chapter 4 really sets up what happens in Matthew chapter 8. So as we're looking at this, what I want to take a look at is in Matthew chapter 4, we see, um, we see the setting for what's going to take place in what we already talked about for the last two weeks, which was the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus teaching, and now we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8 and nine over the next two weeks, and that's what Jesus is doing. So as we look at that, if you have your Bibles with you, please do me a favor, flip back over to Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 23. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen, or you can pull it up on your phone on our U version because we have the notes on there as well. This is what it says. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And we go there first for a very specific reason, because Matthew, Matthew writes in a different sort of way. We're going chronologically through the Gospels, and if you don't know what chronologically means, we're going step by step in the order that it all happened. But Matthew, he doesn't write like that. He writes in a thematic way. And as he writes in a thematic way, it means he has themes to what he's writing about. So even stories that we talk about today that are found in Matthew chapter 8, and stories we talk about next week that are found in Matthew chapter 9, we've already touched on some of them already because some of the things have already happened chronologically they actually happened before the sermon on the mount but what matthew wants to do is start off right here in matthew chapter four he lays it out and says this he says first he went through teaching and proclaiming the gospel in the kingdom and healing every disease there's two points to why jesus came and that was one ministry in the word and the other ministry in deed or ministry in works or ministry in doing not just teaching about it, but doing it. And Matthew lays that out in Matthew chapter 4, and then he goes right into Matthew chapter 5, talking about the teaching, and 5, 6, and 7 are about teaching, and then Matthew 8 and 9 are about the doing. So this is all kind of laid out in all of this with this right here. So what I want to do is I want to look, even as Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, at the pattern that he uses. You see, in the pattern that he uses, like I said, they don't happen. It's not like it happens here and then here and then here and then he talks and then here and then here and then here. It's, it's the points of the theme. And I want to hold on to that and I want you to see that because the overall theme is very important. Because we look at these stories sometimes, we take them out of the context of what Matthew was writing them for. And we have to see it in context for why he was doing it and what he was trying to proclaim about Jesus Christ. So if you go now over to Matthew chapter 8, you're going to see a breakdown here. And the breakdown is this. Matthew starts off in Matthew chapter 8 with three miracle stories. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, there's three miracle stories. The first is the cleansing of a leper. If you're here with us back in April, April 27th, the Sunday after Easter, we actually really got into the cleansing of a leper. So we've already kind of touched on that one. We're going to touch on it some more today. Then he goes into the healing of a centurion servant and then the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. So those are that, the, the first three miracle stories we're going to see. And he's, he's laying, like I said, out a pattern here. 
Then he takes a little shift into discipleship and talks about two descriptions of discipleship, of what it means to follow Christ. Now, he's already kind of done that in Sermon on the Mount, but now he's going to come back to it. Then, picking up in Matthew 8, 23 to 9, 8, Jesus is going to calm the storm. He's going to heal two demon-possessed men, and then into, into chapter 9, he's going to heal a paralytic. So we see all these things starting to lay out. And like I said, we can take each one of those stories for what they are, but Matthew's trying to make a point here. Because then he goes to two more descriptions of discipleship. One of those descriptions of discipleship is actually Matthew following Jesus. The call of Matthew to follow Jesus. Now, I said if you were back here in April, you heard about us talk about the idea of, of Jesus healing a leper. If you were back here in the original April, April, the very first one we ever had, you'll remember the first three Sundays we had as Paragon Church, we talked about Matthew. About how he followed believed and obey to come as you are be changed go change the world that's how we started it all off was with this part of the passage that we'll talk about next week and then jesus talks a little bit about fasting and what it means to fast and then he wraps up nine with three more miracle stories that actually have four miracles in it and this is what they are now i'm giving you a lot of information everybody just went my head is spinning matt what in the world what are you doing to us right now i'm gonna i'm just gonna close in prayer and we'll be done you can go process it later um the thing is, is this. It says, uh, in those last three miracle stories, there's a girl who uh, is dead, is brought back to life. You have a woman who is healed. You have two blind men who are healed. And then you have a man who is mute, who is unable to speak. So you have nine miracles over this, over, or sorry, nine miracle stories and ten miracles over the span of two chapters. But what's Matthew doing? Why is he giving us all of this information? What is the theme? If he's writing thematically and not chronologically, what is the theme that he's going for in all of it. What's he trying to lay out? Well, he actually points out the fact as he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. Because as he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount, he says something very specific in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. The very last verse of, cha- of, uh, of chapter 7 is, is, is verse 28. This is what it says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had, what? Authority. What is being laid out here, what the theme is, is the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus Christ in our lives and in their lives. Who he really is. Now we'll take each one of these stories and we'll say, hey, look at this and look at what Jesus did here and look what Jesus did there. And we can break each story down. But the overall theme from Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and nine is the authority of Christ because we have to remember why Matthew was writing. Why did Matthew write? We talked about at the beginning of our look at the Sermon on the Mount because as Matthew was writing, he was writing to a Jewish culture that didn't understand who Jesus was and he was establishing Jesus as king, as the authority over everything, as God. That was what he was doing. And as he was writing this out, he wants to point out to this very thought right here. And that is, is Jesus possesses absolute authority in the world and warrants or he deserves or he necessitates absolute allegiance from the world. He's saying Jesus is the authority. We need to show it back to him. We need to be fully and completely in with him. And that's a, that's a pretty big deal. See, because as we look at this, we have to understand what this world is. You know, we are a f- people that is f- familiar with sickness. We are a people that is familiar with, with pain. We are a people that is familiar with death and suffering. You know, it, it, it's kind of crazy. 
If you really stop and think about it, think about all the things that, that you've experienced. The pain and the suffering and the hurt and the loss and the death. You know, I told you 18 years ago today was a, was a pretty big day in my life, but 11 years ago today is also, uh, or, tomorrow, or yesterday, sorry, 11 years ago yesterday, it's a pretty big day as well. Um, in between Camden, our oldest, who was 13, and Peyton, uh, we had gotten pregnant uh, well, not really we, uh, but there was a, uh, Christy had gotten pregnant, and uh, actually the due date of that baby was yesterday. And so yesterday we should have been celebrating at least, if it had happened due date-wise, uh, an 11-year-old baby or 11-year-old child of ours. And, and, and we didn't because we lost it in a miscarriage. And that was probably one of the hardest things we've ever had to deal with. And I think about loss and suffering, and, and that's, just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because w- when you look, I mean, I, I've had to battle cancer twice. I've, I've known families who have lost people to sickness and disease. As a matter of fact, afterwards last night, I started thinking about it. Because there's actually, a, a, this is the fact from the National Cancer Research Institute. One out of every two people born in the United States today will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in time in their life. Which means... One out of every one probably will know somebody if it's not them themselves, which is just a crazy thought. And I started thinking about it. In my immediate family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, I have lost nine family members to cancer. And it kind of made me go, wow, didn't, didn't really think about that, but nine family members. You know how many families I've walked through with the process of, of, of dealing with cancer or sickness or hurt or pain or divorce or any of those things? This world is messed up. It is broken. And it has been broken since Genesis chapter 3. It has been broken, and, and we deal with it on a regular basis. All across our church, all across our nation, all across our world. And we put security in things that aren't secure. And what Matthew is writing here is, is that even though this world is broken, Jesus has authority over it. He has authority over it all. That's what's being said here. That's what Matthew is trying to speak here. So even as we look at each individual story as we read through for the next two weeks, we have to see that Jesus has authority over it all. No matter what we might think, no matter what we might say, Jesus has authority over it all. Disease, struggle, death, finances, divorce, all those things, Jesus has authority over it all. So this is what I want you to see as we read in Matthew chapter 8. See that as the big picture, the big umbrella with everything else that falls underneath it. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, when he came down from the mountain, he was up on the Sermon on the Mount, he was given his speech, uh, three chapters worth that we read over the last two weeks. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. I just want to take a moment and just pray that God opens our eyes to what he is saying through this passage, what he spoke through Matthew that not only was so clear to the Jews 2,000 years ago, will be clear to us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you once again for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to praise your name. And as you speak to us, I pray that you speak loud and clear through this passage of who you are and what you want us to become. We pray it all in your name. 
Amen. So after reading this first passage, I said Jesus has authority over it all. Well, the first thing he has authority over is, is disease. He has authority over disease. And in these next three little sections here, these three, first three miracle stories that Matthew writes out, we're going to see that he has authority over disease in three different ways. Three very different ways. And the first one is this. He has authority over the disease of the physically unclean. The physically unclean. And I want to mention that it's not just about Jesus healing this guy. He, he cleansed him. And there's a big difference between the two. There's a big difference between the two as we lay it because you notice the word heal is never in these first four verses. The word cleansed or clean is. Why is that? Why is that important? See, if you were with us, like I said, a couple of uh, months ago back in April, we went through all of this about the idea of, of leprosy. There's some things uh, because in, in first century Judaism, Leprosy was more than just a physical disease. It was a spiritual disease as well. It was a spiritual disease that, that, that Leviticus laid out that, that you were basically cursed by God and that you were separated from everybody and that this was a disease that you could not come in contact with anybody. And you had to yell, unclean, unclean, anytime you were getting close to anybody. Now, it was also very much a physical disease, a very painful physical disease. It was a disease that, that would affect the nerve endings and you'd lose feeling. And because you'd lose feeling, you'd get infection. When you got infection, body parts would literally fall off. So it was a disease like that. And there was no cure to it that anybody could, could really find. And, and you were separated and you were completely away from it. So when this guy came, and he came and he stood before Jesus, you have to think there was a tension that was in the air. There was a tension that was there because all these people knew they weren't allowed to touch this guy because he was ceremonially unclean. And if you touched him, guess what that made you? Ceremonially unclean. And as that laid out, all this climax came together where a leper came face to face with Jesus and everybody went, what's Jesus going to do? And what's the leper say? The leper very clearly says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And as that all came about, imagine what everybody's thoughts did. What's Jesus going to do? Because see, in this, the leper knows that Jesus is able to heal, but he also The question is, is Jesus willing to heal? Jesus is able to heal, but is he willing to heal? And that's an important point to pause on right here because really when we think about it, Jesus' sovereign power, which means he possesses supreme ability, ultimate authority, he has the power, but does it fall into his sovereign will, his ultimate will, his ultimate plan for every life? We have a tendency to pray that, don't we? God, make me clean. God, take this away from me. God, heal me from this. God, do this. And we go knowing he has the power, but it's not always his will. So how do we deal with that? How do we see that? Because he's absolutely able, but the question is, is will he heal you? And sometimes people look at God and say, well, he has to. I mean, I'm a Christian. He has to. And we see it in this story. He does. He heals the leper. However, you, you know a guy, uh, his name's Paul. Uh, he wrote a lot of books in the, in the New Testament. Maybe, maybe you've heard of him before. Do you realize how much he struggled? How much pain and suffering that he went through that God didn't heal? He begged to be healed from, but God didn't heal him. As a matter of fact, it, it basically says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 that Paul's struggle was this thorn in the flesh, and he begged God, take this thorn in the flesh from me. 
And, and God's answer was, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. And so we have to realize that though he has the power, it's not always within his will. It might be in our will because that's what we want, but God's will is so much bigger than ours, and God's ways are so much bigger than ours, and we have to understand that. And, and that is, once again, what Matthew is trying to say here, that God has authority, that Jesus has authority, and that his will and his ways are greater than ours. And as the leper says it, he says, Lord, one with authority, one with power, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and did what? What did he do? He touched him. He touched him and said, I will be clean. Now, when he touched him, what happened to Jesus? He became ceremonially unclean in order to cleanse this individual. What do you think Matthew is really trying to paint as a picture here in this overall theme? What does that sound familiar to as you hear it out loud that he touched the unclean to make them clean? He took the unclean on him so that the unclean could be clean? Sounds like the cross, doesn't it? It sounds like he's laying that out. It's an awesome picture that Jesus identified with the uncleanliness of the leper in order to make the leper clean. And that's what he's done for us. He's done the same thing to make us clean. And, and, and the crazy thing is, we're only three verses into the theme that Matthew's trying to get to. Look at, look at the next thing. It says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Why, why would he say, don't tell anybody that it happened? Why would he say that? Because wouldn't you want everybody to know? Well, once again, we have to remember the context of Matthew. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about what the context of Matthew is. That the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just the be-all, end-all of the gospel. It's just the beginning of the gospel. It's just a part of it. Because the very beginning is when Joseph is approached by an angel when he's quietly going to divorce Mary and say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this because she got pregnant and it's not my kid. And the angel came to him and said, hey, you're going to name him Jesus and he's going to save his people from their sins. That is the theme that it opens up with. That is, what, that is what Matthew wants us to know. That is the reason why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He didn't come to be the one that overthrew Roman rule. He came to save us from our sins. And that's very important to see as all this takes place because he came to die for sinners. And Matthew's making it very clear in all of that because ultimately there's a kingdom that awaits. There is a, a place that awaits that will change everything. But it's not here yet. It's not here yet. So we will deal with the problems and the pain of this world. Let's go to verse 5 of uh, Matthew chapter 8. Here's the next story. First, we saw this physically unclean person be cleansed. Now, we have an ethnically outcast person. That's what it says. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward saying and appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, if we understand anything about first century Judaism, Jews and Gentiles did not associate. A devout Jew would not enter the home of a Gentile. Yet Jesus, who just got done touching a leper, well, at least if you go chronologically, that would be the case. I think Matthew's making a point here. Just got done touching a leper, so he was ceremonial unclean in the eyes of first century Judaism. Now he's about to enter the house of a Gentile once again, kind of breaking those rules down. And it says this, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worried to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, we see in this story here 
that Jesus can say the word and the healing. So why did he touch the leper? Why did he reach out and touch the leper? He could have just said it. He didn't have to, to touch and become unclean for the clean. But once again, I think he was laying out a theme here. So this is what it says after that. And my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What kind of faith is it that he's talking about? What kind of faith is it that he's talking about here? You know what I think it is? It's a faith of humble faith. It's a faith to realizing the authority of Jesus has power over it all. This guy just saw and has heard stories, and he came to Jesus and said, you know what, you don't even have to come into my house. Just speak the word. Jesus is like, wow, that's amazing. You have the faith to know that I have the authority. There's a humble faith that puts me above you. And as we see this, he, he replies, Jesus says this, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham. Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness into that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? You know what that means? Jesus is being very clear right here that it isn't about your birthright. It isn't about your lineage. It isn't about the the religious practices you do. It's about true faith in Jesus Christ. That is what will get you to heaven. And Matthew once again is laying that out here in a thematic way saying, Jesus is Lord of all. And as we see it, it's not about the good things you do. It's not about the rules that you follow. It's about Jesus Christ and having the authority there and all that. And so it says on there, it says, And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So the second story is wrapped up here. First, Jesus cleans the unclean. And now he reaches out to the outcast, that ethnic outcast, the ones that seem like they're outside the bounds of what religion should allow. And then we go to the third one. He actually lifts up the lower class. He lifts up the lower class. Now, there's a lot of things we could say here because, you know, it seems even in Matthew that he's focusing on the people that are on the outskirts of what is church. He's focusing on the people that, that aren't in the church bubble. You have the, the leper who's outside the colony. You have the Gentile who's outside the Judaism. Now you have a woman. And on top of being a woman, a mother-in-law. So, the, so there, there's this lower class right here. I know, I just, I'm just, just kidding. Just kidding. No, um, the, there's, this, there's this lower class in first century Judaism that women and men, hmm, they're not equal. And as you lay out that equal right there, you see it all come together. And Jesus does something once again didn't have to he could have spoke the word but he reaches out and touches her a man did not touch a woman a a rabbi didn't touch a woman like it it was mm -mm. once again jesus is doing something different here and he reaches out and says in verse 14 and when jesus entered peter's house he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and began to serve him so just once again a, a simple touch and it wasn't common for a man to, to do this. But, but that's exactly what he did. And he reached out and he did this. And we see these stories all come together. Those are the first three miracle stories. Look how Matthew wraps it up. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And see what it says here in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. 
He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. See, Matthew quotes here from Isaiah chapter 53. And if you've ever grown up in church and you had to, to memorize verses, generally there's some verses in Isaiah chapter 53 that you probably had to memorize. And there are ones like this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to our own way. But Jesus, he took the sin of us all. As you see this all kind of laid all these things out. So what is Matthew doing? Why did he quote Isaiah chapter 53? Because it's a chapter of prophecy. It's a chapter that is laid out there saying, this is who the Messiah is coming. You know what he's doing? He's telling everybody who the Messiah is. He's telling everybody who Jesus is. He's using it by stories, showing the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, and now showing by for these three, first three miracle stories. He's laying it out there of who this is. Now, some people might say, well, if Isaiah 53 is that, and he's supposed to take our sicknesses and our pains, and obviously we see him take these sicknesses and pains, when I become a Christian, will I never get sick? There, there is teaching out there that would say that's the case. There is teaching out there that's going to lay that, but I believe that Matthew is saying, absolutely not. That's not it at all. See, Jesus, once again, has the power, and he has the authority to overcome all suffering. However, that's not the reason why he came. Because actually, he came because all suffering in the world ultimately becomes, uh, or, or comes from all the sin in the world. He didn't just come to take care of the suffering. He came to take care of the root of the problem. The root of the problem is sin. Sin. That's where it all breaks down to. The root of the problem is sin. And he paid the price with his life to overcome our sin so that we could be free. Eventually, from those pains and those sufferings. Does that mean this world's going to be free of pain and suffering? I'm sorry to say, but it's not it. It's not it. I would love to say yes, but that's not it at all. See, once again, that guy Paul, he was constantly dealing with sickness and suffering. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 1. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That doesn't, that's not like on a sales brochure. There's no Christian sales brochure that you pass that out and say, hey, here, here you go. You guys are going to suffer for a sake. Because as a matter of fact, if you look when it says the word granted there, for it has been granted to you, it actually means gifted. It's been gifted to you. So what Paul is saying in a really short, succinct version of that verse, come to Christ and get a gift, the gift of suffering. Yeah, that, mm, that just doesn't sound great. It's not one of those things that makes your heart happy. But that is the truth. Philippians 3 says we all have fellowship in the sharing of suffering with Christ. Suffering is going to be a part of it all. It's not going to be free from it all. But you know what it does? It changes us. Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans chapter 8, suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed in us. See, we're waiting for the day. Unfortunately, the day hasn't come yet, but we're waiting for the day when Jesus comes back and he destroys all suffering and all shame because he's already destroyed the root of the problem. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And that day is coming for us as we're being sanctified, which means we're being cleansed, that we're being changed, we're being made more into what he wants us to be. So even the worst trials, even the worst diseases, can't be overcome by Jesus. I'm sorry, can be. That, that was a horrible, and this is horrible to delete that from the recording. Um, can be overcome by Jesus. They can't overcome Jesus. 
So that established, Matthew then pauses and plugs in another story about discipleship here and potential disciples. Look what it says. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him saying, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That is a huge, bold statement. Huge, bold statement. I will follow you wherever you go. But look how Jesus replies to him. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, this bold statement of, I will follow you in faith wherever you go. And Jesus says, are you sure about that? Are you absolutely sure you want to follow me? Because guess what? Though the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, I don't have any place to lay my head. There's no guarantee you're getting anything out of this deal. There's not even going to be a roof over your head, contrary to some popular teaching that's out there, saying as long as I follow Jesus, I'm going to have a big house and I'm going to have that kind. No. Jesus says right here, quite the opposite. Do you trust me enough to give up the rest? That's what he says. Do you trust me enough to give up the rest? Are you truly going to follow me? Are you truly going to be all in? Be willing to give up everything else? Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. See that that second potential disciple. You have to understand that Jesus isn't clamoring to get disciples to follow. He's not like, hey, you guys got to follow me. He's not looking for a big crowd. He's laying out the truth of this is what it's going to take to follow me. Kind of crazy to think about. But the second guy says, let me go back and bury my father. You know, I've read lots of different commentaries on what this is supposed to mean. Either the the dad is already dead and he literally needs to bury him, um, or the dad is dying and he's waiting to bury him. And in the process of waiting to bury him, he's going to get an inheritance out of the deal. And so he's kind of hoping to get some stuff. And Jesus says this. He's not saying hate your father in a way of actually hate. But what he is saying is, you better love me more. I better be more important than any of those things. Than the inheritance you're going to get, I'm more important. Than your dad, I'm more important. He's laying that out there. That is is huge. Like when we say, hey God, I'm going to follow you anywhere you go. And he's like, are you sure about that? How do we answer How do we answer that very question? The picture here is clear. Jesus has authority over disease. You know what's the other authority? He has authority over his disciples. We should give all of our undivided attention to him, our unconditional trust to him. That's what he's laying out here. He's worthy of the undivided affection, the undivided attention. He is worthy of our unconditional trust because he is God. And that's what Matthew's trying to tell us here. That's what he's trying to lay out. And it goes back to that thing we started off right at the beginning. Our bottom line, right up front, Jesus' sovereign authority in the world leads to total allegiance from our lives. That is where we're at. And that leads us to the next verse, verse 23. It says, And when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And in this, right here, there's so many sermons that I've heard on this very passage. that talks about Jesus is going to calm the storms of your life. And that sounds pretty. And that sounds really good. But you know what? That's not the point of the story. Because once again, if we take it all in context, from Matthew 1 to Matthew 28, if we take it all in context, that's not the story here. You know what the story is? You know what the point of the story is? It's found in verse 27, where it says, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? 
Matthew's pointing out to a bunch of good Jewish guys, a bunch of guys who knew the Old Testament. Matthew is pointing out to those guys that Jesus is God. That is the point of this story. See, if you look in Psalm 89, 8, it says, O Lord, God of hosts, you rule the raging sea. When the waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, 29 says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. See, these disciples weren't marveled at the ability. They were marveled at the man who was standing in their boat. They, it clicked. This is God. This is God standing in our presence. We understand that now. And that is what Matthew's pointing out once again, that Jesus is God. See, the promise in the story isn't that all storms in our life will end soon. The promise in the story is that Jesus will be with us in all of our storms. And that's the story that we have to hold on to. That is what we have to see here. Because amidst the storm in your life, you will not be alone. And that's what Jesus is laying out. I highlighted this in my notes. It says, faith is a confidence that no matter what wind and waves come your way in this world, the God of the universe will be right there in the middle of the boat with you. And his power to pre- uh, and his presence will always see you through. See, we're not alone. Ultimately, we're safe in the presence of the one who has authority over it all. That is really what it all boils down to, that Jesus is God. And that leads to the last story in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has authority over the demons. Verse 28, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gerardines, it was one of those ones I looked at last night, and I'm like, what is that? So I actually went and I listened to the audio Bible, and I'm like, how do you pronounce that? And it pronounced it, and I went, okay, I got it. And then I just read it just now, and it was, uh, just, Corey's like, it's kind of like the Gerardines of the, of the galaxy. It's like guardians, but not really guardians. It's kind of, so try and remember that, and I still failed. So that's what it says. Uh, you can read it and guess what you want it to say. Uh, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? That's something we'll talk about next week. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at the some distance from them. And the demon begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters and the herdsmen fled going into the city they told everything especially what had happened to the demon possessed men and behold all the city came out to meet jesus and when they saw him they begged him to leave their region such a great story and this on itself is it's just so crazy but if we're going with the same theme if we're going where it's going at there's something we see very here very much here that these demons were afraid of the power and the ability and the authority of Jesus Christ. We see this laid out here right in front of us, that they, they hated everything about Jesus, yet they were still obedient to what he called. He was still there, and it was all about his sovereign permission on where they could go and what they could do. And I want to point out, like I said, next week when it says, before our time, there's a time that's coming, and we'll get to that. We'll talk about that next week. But the fact is, is that Satan and his minions have no power in this world that Jesus isn't over. You know, uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 5 that, that, the, that, that Satan is a lion, prowling, ready to pounce. One other reason why I don't like cats, because they're all in line with Satan. But the, the, <laughs> the, the whole idea of it here is this, is that, you know, 
He may be a lion ready to pounce. He is, though, a lion that is on a leash. He is a lion that is on a leash because Jesus has power over him. Nothing that he can do is anything that Jesus hasn't allowed to happen. We see it in the book of Job. We see all those things take place. But all these stories, all these things that Matthew writes out is to encourage us of one fact, that Jesus has authority over it all and he is with us through it all. You know, something even in this, though, there's something that that I saw in this story that kind of made me go, hmm, did you notice that the demons were afraid? They were afraid, why? They were afraid because they knew who Jesus was. When we fear, what is the reason why we fear? It's because we forget who Jesus is. Two opposite sides to the same thing. They were afraid because of their belief. We feared because of our unbelief. We forget who Jesus is, that he will walk with us through everything. And we have this tendency to forget where our security really is. We have houses and we have good jobs, and we have all of these things that we base our security and we hold on to and we say, well, this is going to get me through. But the thing is, is we have to understand where our security is really found, and that is found in Jesus. And that's when he says, you know what? Are you willing to give up the rest to follow me? Do you trust me enough to give up the rest? And actually reminded me of a story, a story I heard uh, not too long ago, and it was about, it was about a little girl. And this little girl, um, she loved her dad very much. And dad used to come in and he would, he would sit in her bed uh, at the end of the night and he would, he, would, he would pray with her and he would read her a good night story and say, hey, I love you, girl. And he'd give her a kiss on the head and he would leave. And she'd say, I love you too, dad. And this would go on and go on and go on. One day he took her to the market. And at the market, there in the checkout aisle next to all the junk and all the stuff that's there to buy that last second was a, was a set of fake pearls. And that set of fake pearls was a dollar. A whole dollar. And she said, Dad, I really, I really, really want those. And he said, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to earn those. Okay, you need to earn those. And you need to make some money. And she, ran, she went home and she got all excited. And she's like, I'm going to do chores and I'm going to do this. I'm going to get those pearls. I'm going to earn those pearls. And sure enough, she did some chores. And she got a quarter here and she did some other chores and got a quarter there. And, and before it was all said and done, her birthday came up. And when her birthday came up, Grandma sent her a fresh crisp one dollar bill and she was all excited and said we need to go back to the store and we need to buy those pearls we need to get those right now so dad took her over to the store and sure enough they bought the pearls and as soon as she bought the pearls she put them on and as she put them on she was so excited about these pearls and she wore them everywhere and if you have a girly girl in your house like i have a girly girl in my house those pearls are it that was what it is everything else accessorized around the pearls the pearls weren't the accessory they were the norm okay that's the way it is and so this whole thing was all dressed up and the stories kept going the the good night time of i love you daddy uh, i love you too daughter the whole thing was taking place and one day dad comes in he goes he does the story he kisses her good night and says do you really love me and she said yes daddy i love you more than anything else in the whole world so well, give me your pearls said no no i'm not i'm not going to give you my pearls you can have that baby doll over there it's got all kinds of accessories it's got little rain boots and all kinds. you can have that but these are my pearls he said no okay that's fine walked out of the room next day same thing and he asked the same question do you really love me yeah dad i love you more than anything in the whole world well give me your pearls no 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 you can have you can have that stuff over there dad but these are my pearls i, I worked hard for these pearls okay 
And that story continued. It happened night after night until one night he walks in and she's sitting on the bed and there's a tear running down her cheek. And she didn't have the pearls on. They're in her hand. And she said, Dad, I, I know what you're going to ask me. You're going to ask me for my pearls. So here are my pearls. And he takes the pearls and he reaches in the drawer next to him and pulls out a box. And inside that box is a little velvet, little velvet pouch. And inside that velvet pouch is a fresh string of real pearls. And he gives them to her. And the whole story of that is, is that we have these cheap things that we have earned, that we have worked really hard for, and we're holding on to them so tight, we're missing the amazing gift that God really has, the amazing things that are of worth that we really have. And honestly, hey guys, you want to come up here and help me out real fast? I've got pearls for everybody today, and they're cheap pearls. Very cheap. I think they were about 17 cents each. So uh, that poor girl, she got ripped off. But the, uh, <laughs> what I'm going to have, I'm going uh, to have these guys hand out these pearls to you. Because this is what I want today. As you leave here and we realize who God is and what he has done and who Jesus is and what he has done, we still hold on to pearls in our life, cheap pearls that we have earned. The thing is, for everybody in this room, it's different. My pearls are different than your pearls, but what is it that you are holding on to? What is it that is keeping you from experiencing who God really is? And I would ask you this week, I'm not even going to ask you this morning, but I'm going to ask you this week to take these pearls and guys, wear them. Wear them. Girls, no problem wearing them, right? Guys, be a little weird, but that's all right. wear them, all right? And as you wear them, think about what you are holding on to. Let it be a reminder that there is something that is greater out there. But what is it that those pearls represent in your life? And next week, next week we're going to have a trash can up here. And I'm going to challenge you to bring those pearls back next week. Not on Saturday night, of course, just on Sunday morning. But we're going to have a trash can. And that trash can is going to be you to throw those pearls away. And somebody might say, well, you're going you're gonna to waste all those pearls? Absolutely. We're getting rid of all of them. Because we're not going to hold on to the cheap pearls because God has something so much better for us. And the thing is, is maybe this week, maybe right this very second, you already know what those pearls are and you want to get rid of them. I'm not going to make you wait till next week. We're not having a Facebook moment of all the people at the altar with their pearls going into a garbage. It's between you and God. It's between you and Him. What can you give up? Because Daddy is saying, our Father in Heaven is saying, do you really love me? Then let me have your pearls. I've got so, something so much greater for you. So as you have your pearls, throughout this week, throughout this moment, if you have to give something up, I would challenge you to do it. It was so fun at the end of the night last night, all the guys were standing and singing and all of them had pearls on it. I just had this giggle smile going on inside because I'm like, hey, it's that kind of church. But, um, you know, it, it, it was just fun to see. But next week, I, wanted, I really truly want to see them all given up. I want to see us give up those things we hold so tightly to, those cheap things that we think are giving us a security that only we can find in Jesus Christ. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it very much. Let's pray together, and as we do, I want to challenge you that if God's challenging you to respond right now, I'm not going to say don't. Just don't listen to God, okay? I'm not going to say that, but I do want you to, to see who God is and, and what He is doing. And, and, and that's what Matthew is all about, is the fact that Jesus has the authority 
over this world and everything we hold on to in this world and all the things we think we've earned to give us that security, the house, the job, the car, whatever it might be. And we can cast those at Jesus' feet because he's got so much more for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have given us the ability to have a relationship with you. But God, there's so many things that we have this choice of, of what might be better. And we have the idea that, that our will is bigger than your will. And our ways are bigger than your ways. But your word is very clear that our ways are not your ways. And your will is not our will. But you would like us to fall in line with you. But there's so many things that pull us and distract us and take us the other way. And it's just, what is it? God, lay that on our heart to what that is and speak to us. As you even ask us this week to say, what is it that is 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 the pearl that you're holding on to and that we are willingly, willingly able to give that up to you knowing that there is something greater that you have. And it may not even be greater in this world, God, but we know it's going to be greater in the next. We pray it all in your name. Amen.